the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. You and I need love in our life. When we hear that word love, we often think of human relationships, and certainly that has, the, has an essential element, but real love starts with a relationship with God because you and I cannot really know love apart from God because God is love. And so even though you may not have all the relationships of love in your life that you desire, you can still know love because God can love you, and God does love you. You can experience that love of God in your heart. And by the way, if God loves you, it really doesn't matter if all the world rejects you. Because you're still secure in the love that God has for you. And so love is something God wants to bring to every human being. He wants you to know the depth, the value, the power of His love at work in your life. He wants you to know that you are loved by Him. He demonstrated that love to you in Jesus Christ. Jesus gave His life to prove the fact that God loved us by carrying our sins and paying the price and the penalty for every sin we've ever committed and then rising from the grave so that we could put our faith in him and have newness of life and experience God's love. And so God loves you beyond anything you can imagine. But then God calls us in the midst of his love, receiving his love, to then extend his love to people. Love is never to stop with us. That when you and I experience God's love, it's meant to not only fill the hole and voids in our life, but it's also meant to be expressed through us to the people around us. And so I want to talk today about two things that will help us to actually understand more about God's love and how his love flows through us to the people around us. So two basic things that we'll look at today together. Number one, we have to understand that God defines love differently than we do. When I mention the word love, what do you normally think of? Most people think of emotions, right? In fact, the the, the, the definition, the dictionary definition for love, let me read it from you directly from the dictionary. A feeling of warm personal attachment, deep affection for someone, sexual passion or desire, strong enthusiasm or liking. All of those terms in the dictionary for love point to a feeling. I love because I feel something. I'm moved on the inside. And so that feeling is love as the world defines it. We talk about falling into love. I mean, what is it, like a ditch or something that you fall into? Okay. Or I fell out of love. Well, what happened? You didn't have your seatbelt buckled? What happened? You fell out, okay? We talk about love as though it were a feeling, an emotion, some mysterious sort of ethereal thing that comes upon us in some way that is outside of our control. But God defines love very differently from God's perspective. Listen closely from God's perspective. Love has nothing to do with feeling. It's not opposed to feeling, but it's not defined by feeling. The love that God calls us to demonstrate is not a love based in emotion. It goes far beyond emotion. It is a more mature kind of love. It's a love that is based upon some things we'll look at in a moment that have some characteristics and some substance to them. I want to show you how true this is because notice Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, where Jesus gives us a very specific instruction that you can't do if it's based in feeling. He says, but I tell you, 
love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, generally, what do you feel about your enemies? You don't necessarily feel so warm toward them, right? You don't feel all those gushy things on the inside when you think about your enemies. But Jesus said, you are to love your enemies, which means that we can love even when we don't feel like loving. So love from God's perspective is not based in emotion. Notice Philippians chapter 2, the first five verses that describe this love that God has for us and the love that we're to have toward other people. Paul describes it here in these words. Look at how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointed one. You're filled to overflowing with his comforting love. You've experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection and mercy. So I'm asking you, my friends, to notice how Paul describes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, this, this thing called love as God describes it. I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one love. That's miraculous kind of love there. Walk together with one harmonious purpose, and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interest. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. See, all this describes a supernatural kind of love that you and I cannot do in our own strength or in our own power. From God's perspective, love is not a feeling. It is not anti-feeling. It is just not driven by feelings. Love, from God's perspective, has five characteristics at least. I want to give these five characteristics to you. What is love from God's perspective? Number one, love is commitment. Commitment is an agreement. It is a pledge that we make to say, I'm in this thing with you. We are in relationship. We're in covenant one with another. And so love is based in commitment. Number two, love is based in the decisions that you make. It's not your feelings driving your decisions, but your decisions that will then affect your feelings. And so I'm going to decide to do the right thing in my relationship with you, whether I feel like doing the right thing or not, because I love you. I'm committed to you. The third thing that real love, God kind of love is all about, it has to do with your attitudes, the way you, your mindset toward people, that you begin to think about people as God would have you to think. Instead of viewing them from a world's perspective, you view them from God's perspective. It is my mindset now that I'm going to look at you through the eyes of God. Fourthly, your actions, what you do, that even when you don't feel like acting in a loving way, you act in a loving way anyway, because love says, I'm committed, I've made a decision to love you. In my decision to love you, I'm going to adjust my attitudes to think about you the way God wants me to think about you, and then I'm going to act accordingly. And the last word I'll give you here is sacrifice. Real love always results in sacrifice. It's not about you. It's about you pouring your life out in a positive way for others. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave, he sacrificed his only son that whoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So real love is always sacrificial. Now, I'm going to take you to one of the greatest passages in the Bible when it comes to understanding love. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's there on your notes, actually. I'm going to read this today from the Passion Translation. I want this to sink deep into your heart and let this definition, this understanding of love from God's perspective permeate you on the inside. Maybe open up your eyes and refresh your thinking regarding love. Listen to what Paul writes here in this passage. If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, 
and yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. If I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains but have never learned to love, then I am nothing. If I were to be so generous as to give away everything I owned to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr, without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. Now, here Paul describes love, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessings come to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure's defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy, which eventually fades away. It's more enduring than tongues, which one day fall silent. Love remains long after words of knowledge are forgotten. The God kind of love is not a feeling. The God kind of love is not about what you get from somebody. The God kind of love is what you give to someone. The God kind of love is not about you and I being served by others. The God kind of love is us finding a way to serve others. Now I want to move to the second part of today's message. That's the first part. Because it's not enough to know the definition of God's love and conceptually understand it. The real reason that we ought to understand the definition of God's love is so we can live it. And so God's love has to move from a concept to something that is prioritized and practiced in our life. But the love of God is something that is prioritized and practiced in our lives. It's not just some idea and concept. Oh, isn't the idea of the love of God great? Oh, it's wonderful to think about the kind of love that God has. No, that's not where it stops with us. No, the love that God has for us and the kind of love that God wants us to demonstrate to others is that very thing. It is to be demonstrated. It is to be prioritized and it is to be practiced. It is to become a part of how you and I live. How do you prioritize something and practice something? You give time to it. You give resources to it. You, you begin to do it. It becomes a part of what you do with your life. And so we're called not to just celebrate the love of God, but to demonstrate the love of God. Now, John the Apostle reminded us of this important aspect of not just celebrating God's love, but demonstrating God's love. And I'll read you a passage in just a moment from 1 John chapter 3. But before I get there, let me tell you a little bit about John who writes these words. When John first started following Jesus, he was in business with his brother James. They owned a fishing business. They were commercial fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. One day Jesus comes along and says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so James and John started following Jesus, but James and John had a past. James and John were known for something. They were called the sons of thunder. Thunder is something violent. These were men that were not necessarily given to treating people nicely. They were hard-nosed businessmen. They were guys that were known to sort of perhaps maybe pick a fight with someone from time to time. They were not necessarily known as the most loving men around. They were the sons of thunder. Tough guys. James and John started following Jesus, and 
over a period of time, John just began to lean into Jesus and learn more of Jesus. In fact, at the last meal, it was John that was leaning in so close to Jesus there intimately to hear every word that he would say. His life was beginning to change for John. And the sons of thunder was becoming less and love was becoming more. And eventually, John fell so in love with Jesus and learned so much about love that over his life, his moniker changed from being a son of thunder to being called the apostle of love. Isn't that incredible? If that can happen to John, there's hope for you. He was transformed so much that people, when they thought of John, they they no longer thought of a man who had a temper and was angry and unloving. They began to think of John as a man who demonstrated the love that God had for others. And he writes these words as he's an elderly man. More than likely, as we're going to read in just a moment from 1 John chapter 3, John was likely 90 plus years of age when he wrote these words inspired by the Holy Spirit in 1 John chapter 3, verse number 18. Little children, he says, little children talking to us. Let us stop just saying we love people. Let us really love them and show it by our actions. John said, hey guys, it's not enough just to be able to define the love of God. It's not just enough to know something academically and theoretically about the love of God. Let's stop just talking about love. Let's put it into practice. Let's really show it by our actions. The challenging thing in our world today and our relationships is that while we might know the biblical definitions of love, it becomes very challenging to actually show it. There are many reasons why that happens. One is because we're, we're all busy with lots of different things and things and tasks take up our time and they tend to take precedence at times over people and relationships. And it's so important that we understand that what you and I need to do is we need to begin to realize the value and the importance of demonstrating the love of God. Because if you want life, you can't have life without love, right? And you receive love from God, but God says the fullness of life is when you start giving it to the people around you. Jesus emphasized this in Mark chapter 12. Let me read you this passage. We'll talk about it just for a moment. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. Jesus was debating with some folks, and he realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? So here's this guy listening to Jesus, interact with some folks, and he realized this is a really wise, wonderful man. I'm going to ask him a question that has always been on my mind. Of all the commandments, which commandment is the most important commandment? There are all kinds of things that we could focus on. Jesus, which one should we really pay attention to? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must, here it is, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Let's stop there for a moment. Jesus said, here, here's where it begins. You want to know what the most important commandment is? Here you go. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Now, I would think that Jesus would stop there. I mean, it seems like that's pretty much it, right? You would think that Jesus would say, you know, love God, give him your all, put him first in your life, and that's pretty much it. But he didn't stop there. I want you to notice what he said next, because what he says next is extremely important. Jesus is continuing to speak here. The second is equally important. Now, what does it mean when something is equally important? It means it's equally important. It means what I just said... This applies in the same way that this one does. There's no differentiation between this one and this one. 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is, what is it again? Equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we have the tendency to say, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. It's kind of down here. No, Jesus said, no, love your neighbor as yourself is equally important. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're only doing a portion of the greatest commandment. You also have to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that requires something beyond us, does it not? requires the power of God to do that. You and I cannot fulfill God's commandment without His power. And the question becomes, how do we then do that? How do we get that kind of power in our lives? How do we make this a priority in our life? How do we practice this in our life in a way that that becomes real? I want to do that. How about you? I want to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I want to love my neighbor as myself. I want that to be real in my life. So how does it happen? Six practical steps that are critical to this. Number one, you have time to who? You can't say you love God if you don't give Him any time, right? Because love is spelled T-I-M-E. That's one spelling of love. And so if I say, God, I love you, I just can't hang out with you. Don't ask me to spend any time in your word. Don't ask me to be regular at church. Don't ask me to do that kind of stuff, God. I love you, but I don't have any time for you. No, that doesn't work that way. If you love God, you have to have time for it. The way you have time for God is by prioritizing your life so that you spend some time with Him on a regular basis. You spend some time with Him, what you're doing today, which is awesome, in the house of God, worshiping together with God's people. You're giving God time, and when you give God time, you're giving Him opportunity to work in your life and to fellowship with you, to have a relationship with you. You can't have a relationship without time, and so why is this essential? Because you will never, listen, you will never have any love to give anybody else until you've tapped into God's love toward you. It's only when you're filled up with God's love that you have anything else to give. What's the second thing we do? Give time to who? Everybody say people. We have to prioritize our relationships with people. You can't say you love people if you don't give people time. How do you spell love for people? T-I-M-E, right? And so the way that I communicate to someone that I care about them is I, I spend time with them. I, give, I make them a priority in my life. And again, we live in a very, very busy world, a very active world. We live in a world that is so easy to push our relationships off to another time. One day I'll get around to spending time with that person. I'll get around to spending time in that relationship. No, if you want to love people, you have to give them some time which means you have to make it a priority in your schedule. They have to find room in your calendar for them. Think about when you die, when you're about, about ready to die. I want you to just imagine with me for a moment. You're on your deathbed. You know you're going to die. You're still, have, you're still conscious, and so you're aware of the fact that you're going to die. You still have your senses about you. And when you're on your deathbed and you're about to die, what do you want around your deathbed more than anything else? You're going to look for people, right? And if you don't build relationships with people now, you won't have people there then. Are you hearing me? Okay. If you don't build relationships with people now, you're not going to have people there then. That's why the church is so vital. That's why we encourage you here at church to build friendships, to get plugged in serving somewhere, get plugged into a life group, to do something where you're building connection with people. Life is about people, okay? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. It's equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so give time to God. Give time to people. What's the third thing? Forgive quickly. Forgiveness is when I just let go of whatever it is I have against you. 
whether you apologize to me or not. I'm making the decision that if you are going to behave badly toward me, that I'm going to live in an attitude of forgiveness toward you. I'm not going to carry it around inside of me. We get hurt, so we draw in and we protect our heart and we begin to pull back and distance ourselves from a person and walls begin to develop and out of that distance comes isolation. Out of isolation comes divorcing or breaking of relationships. So what's the cure for that? The cure is to say, you know what? When you hurt me, I'm, I'm going to keep on loving. Okay? Because I'm not going to let what you did to me control what happens in my heart. Okay? You're not in control of my heart. I'm in control of my heart. So I'm going to choose to forgive and not do it eventually. I'm going to do it quickly. Amen? What's the next one on your notes? Apologize Apologize promptly. When you hurt another person and you know that you've hurt them in some way, what you need to do is apologize how? Promptly. As soon as you realize, I hurt that person, I need to make that right. In your mind, you're always justifying what you did. Well, the reason I said that was because she said this. And I'll apologize when she does. I'm not going to take the... If she apologizes, I will. Let's just boil all that down to what it really is. You know what all that is? It's P-R-I-D-E. It's pride. Okay. An apology says, you know what? The relationship is more important to me than me being right sometimes. I don't have to be right all the time. You know, let me just help you... You don't have to be right all the time. Isn't that good? Just go ahead and just resign from being right all the time. Because let me tell you something. You're not. Okay? None of us are. Okay? And so you don't have to be right all the time. You don't have to win every argument. It's okay if you lose from time to time. Okay? Because every argument can become a point of contention in a relationship that can destroy the relationship. And so you apologize. You, and by the way, apologize the right way. I'm sorry that you made me mad. (laughs) Or, I'm sorry that I reacted to you the way that I did. I let my emotions take control of me, and I'm sorry for the way I reacted. Which of the two is going to facilitate the relationship? The former or the latter? The latter will. So we apologize promptly. What's the next one on the notes there? Learn to speak the love language of other people. There's a great book called The Five Love Languages, Five Languages of Love. It's by Gary Chapman. I encourage you, if you haven't read that book, to read it. Let me quickly tell you why this is important. We're just about done today as I wrap this up. But every person has a love language. That is, what that means is it means that for me to feel love, there's certain things that, that mean something to me that might not mean a thing to you. And there's certain things that mean something to you that may not mean anything to me at all. But when you do those right things in my language, to me, I feel love. And when I do those things for you that make you feel love, you, you, it, it communicates love to you. And so we all have a little different language when it comes to love. And just like if you were to go to a foreign country and you spoke one language and somebody else spoke another language, you didn't know anything about each other, you would have a hard time communicating anything back and forth. Well, that's what happens in relationships many times. We don't understand the language the other person is speaking. And so we have to take some time to learn those languages and that's why I encourage you to read that book, The Five Love Languages, Five Languages of Love. I can never remember the name of the title of that book. It's one or the other, okay? But it's by Gary Chapman. But read that book and read it once a year. It reminds you of how other people interact and, and respond to life. Learn the language of the people that are vital in your life. And the last one together, read it with me. What is it? Read aloud, if you will. Do all of the above so consistently that they become habits. See, love, listen closely, love is a learned response. 
Love is not something you just automatically do. You learn to love, okay? You learn to respond in love. And then as you learn to respond in love, love becomes the pattern and you start walking in love. As you learn love, you walk in love. The most important commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because Jesus said, I want you to have life, Zoe. And you can't have life without love. Love comes from God to you and through you to the people around you. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus, I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.